0: Okay, this is day two of our AI coverage, and I've been researching Imad Mostak, I think that's how you pronounce his name, but don't quote me on that, uh, who is the founder and CEO of Stability AI that released Stable Diffusion. Um, I actually wrote a whole blog post and threw it away because I didn't find like any, any interesting angle. I just was writing his Wikipedia page. And <laughs> I, don't, uh, I, I feel like I might meet him in the future and I, I feel like that was too stalker-ish. Um, so I just didn't do that. Um, anyway, so a few interesting points. Uh, you can read the whole blog post in the show notes. Uh, but four years ago, he was in finance, kind of like me uh, and not a PhD in machine learning, but somehow you know, has figured out the entire path towards uh, being top of the field in large language models. Um, he's only ever done three interviews on podcasts. Uh, one is a hedge fund manager and then two as stability's founder. So this is one of the two. Um, the other one probably is more technical and detailed, uh, but I happened to capture this one just because it had a better explanation of stable diffusion and um, his thoughts on just some of the general ethical and you know, productized principles around this, as well as the multimodal elements around it. Um, so uh, yeah, there's a lot more you can read. I, I compiled a lot of notes, uh, so I, I kind of know I can get in his head a little bit, um, but I don't think you need the notes to really understand uh, what's about to come in, in this clip. Um, so we start off with the ethical side of the debate, where we talked a little bit about um, scraping of data for uh, general purpose um, large language model training. And then we go into how stable diffusion works a little bit. And then we talk about the multimodal future that is likely to come. Like that's, that's uh, stability's uh, grand plan.
1: So with this Holly plus project that we've been doing, the voice is this really interesting thing. Cause it's both like a communal instrument that you learn through mimicry through other people. But it's also a very personal instrument to your physical kind of resonant chambers in your body. Um, and so finding that line between something that we all collectively own and can tap into and use as we as we wish. And then also having a kind of line where you also have some sovereignty over your own personhood. So I think there is a kind of that that's a line that maybe moves around as technology kind of changes and shifts, but there is a line there somehow. No, I think hundred percent. I think there's a few things to pick apart here. First off is you said there's that personal element. And the voice technology has got dramatically better. So Actually, funnily enough, my sister-in-law um, has a company, Synantic.io, which does emotionally accurate voices. So she recreated Val Kilmer's voice for Top Gun yep. and uh, a lot of the video game voices. So they just went to Spotify. But that technology will be everywhere, so you can perfectly replicate anyone's voice in full emotional range. And so that's something very personal. But then also as personal as the voice of an artist, right, in terms of the overall kind of compilation of things, where they're like, this is my style, this is the way that I present myself, and this and that. Um Data set crawling and what we've seen, these things that make up these image models, is obviously a big deal. Like, is there an opportunity to opt out of having your data and your style as part of these big models? You know? And right now, it doesn't seem to be. I mean, like, we crawled the internet for Lion, um, but legislation is shifting. So, actually, what happened on June 29th is the UK government issued new regulation that basically said that web crawling is allowed not only for academic purposes, like in the rest of Europe. But also for commercial purposes.
2: Yeah, I saw that.
1: So if yeah, so if your stuff is in public anywhere accessible on the internet, it's almost fair game to train these models. Is that right? Is it wrong? I'm not sure. Um, but it is what it is. And I think a lot of other governments will kind of follow. So you have to then think about kind of where is kind of my core thing around this? What is my distribution like? Where am I gonna find my place in this new world that's gonna happen a lot faster than I think any of us imagine, like. Even I didn't imagine a year ago when we started this that we would be having stable diffusion now with the quality that it has and speed and the crazy small size.
2: Yeah, totally. No, I mean, and, and I do think that there needs to be more clarity on that particular issue, right? Because I, I saw that, I mean, there's been other similar precedents in the US, in the US where, yeah, it, it, it a, a kind of a, a surprising, in some ways refreshing, in some ways kind of unfamiliar bullishness uh legislative bullishness on this particular issue right where i don't feel many people many people know that that is actually the case right i think people intuitively coming from again like 20th century industry discourses like sampling discourse and so on and so forth intuitively believe that there's more protectable there than apparently there is Right, And I mean, I think, I think if only to just let people know that uh, it is, is kind of a service, um, because I think people, people are, are approaching these topics with a little less kind of urgency than, than they might otherwise, uh, uh, should they know that.
1: Yeah, and I think this is why as well, part of our strategy is teaming up with kind of content providers from individuals mm-hmm. all the way up to big organizations and say, let's take your back catalogs and all this information about your voice and make it dynamic, right? Let's implement these new technologies so that interface correctly with the world that we're coming to. Because then at least you can have a structured ownership structure. I'm not talking about NFTs or anything like that. We haven't quite figured out what the primitives are, and everyone's trying to figure it out. But it's almost like you can see this future whereby you've got your own private data set and style and voice, both individual and then beyond that. And you've got your own models running that, right? And then you have the general models that know just about anything and then people accessing all of these, but with proper traction and then proper communities. Cause the current model is just kind of broken. Like the music industry is broken. The artistic art industry is broken. The movie industry is broken. Value doesn't end up where it should be, which is with the creatives, you know, it, Goes elsewhere, shall we say?
2: Yeah, totally. Uh, this is we. We're also overdue having a conversation about this because we literally just started a company to do exactly what you described.
1: <laughs> oh, you, you can use our models, right?
2: <laughs> well, yeah. Well, the, I mean, literally, cool. the analogy you used of the general model knowing a lot, kind of like a little about a lot, and more specific permission models knowing a lot about a little is is was the pitch for the company. Uh, it's like because that's where it has to go. Basically, yeah. it, where it has to go is people have to kind of lean into this scenario and find ways to, yeah, find ways to uh, have people interact with bespoke models of, uh, uh, of, of themselves or, or their style, or whatever it might mean. That's just kind of like the inevitable place that it goes. And of course, what's useful about the systems that you've been that you've been developing is that all of that requires the large model substrate in order to be able to function, right? Um, particularly, also yeah. why I'm interested in the checkpoint, <laughs> but, but because <laughs> no. yeah, but because ultimately, you know, it's both, right? It's like if if uh, if Holly's holding a cat um holly's model doesn't need to know what a cat is but it's really damn helpful when there's a large model that knows what a cat is right um yeah so on that point we completely agree um there's there's one interesting
1: thing i'd like to say about these models so like i said they're big general brains and they do just about anything avocados and spaceships and whatever and they'll get better and better um they're actually not the right size they're a lot bigger than they need to be yep uh so gpt3 was 175 billion parameters required dozens of graphics cards to run that's not what you actually use when you use the OpenAI API. Because unlike the time of big data, where it cared about who you are and your data, the only thing these models actually care about is how you use them and which parts of that electronic brain in a jar you light up. Because what you can then do is you can do something called reinforcement learning with human feedback and take the big brains and squish them yep. into smaller brains that are just as effective. So when you use GPT-3, you don't use the 175 billion parameter model. You use a 1.3 billion parameter model. Yep. So data on how people use these models allows you to decrease the size by a hundred times. Yep. So that's why again the scale game is interesting, and also as you said, this personalized data is interesting because you can get it to the point where it can actually run on just about anything, which means you can distribute it just about anywhere.
2: Completely, completely agree. Um, this is okay. So we're we're jumping we're jumping ahead, and we haven't actually spent much time talking about stable diffusion. Um, would you yep. mind maybe with a bit of a backstory uh, we've mentioned diffusion many times in passing on the podcast before and and of course this is only like a 12 to 18 month history at this point or something but, but uh, <laughs> yeah. which is which is uh, dizzying but uh would you mind maybe explaining a little bit about what diffusion is and then going on to talk about stable dispute diffusion specifically
1: so diffusion is kind of a mechanism for effectively denoising an image so what happens you might have seen like Mid Journey again, Wombo, some of these others, you start with like a blur and then it's like enhance, 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 right? It's like order comes out of chaos. These kind of neural networks are a few different ways of figuring out how to bring order from chaos. And there's kind of two main two main approaches. One is kind of an attention based approach where you're finding the bits of the picture that's the most important in relation to text. And the other is kind of this diffusion-based approach, which is all about kind of denoising and adjustment. The net effect is the same, but that's why, for example, some of you will use crayon. Crayon is a lot more structured when you're doing a demo on playing basketball or, you know, tinky-winky at the Nuremberg trials. There are a lot of these diffusion-based models, but these diffusion-based models are better for details. So, like, you can see the faces and kind of these elements here. Classically, these models were based on a pipeline. So, again, when you use the CoLab notebooks and things, it took 30 seconds and minutes to do it. You'd have a model that generated order from noise, and then another other one that guided that. So that was called the CLIP model. Yep. And so they work together synergistically to bounce back and forth. One of the big advances over the recent months has been the realization that we can take that guidance model for images, or even language, and then we can squish it into the brain, and the brain learns lots more of these hidden layers of meaning, which is crazy if you think about it. So you're taking a language model and an image model and squishing them together, and all of a sudden the image model gets better. So it's almost a language. Yep. Like you can actually see as you train it, like it learns about fingers and toes and shadows and all sorts of crazy things. So this is going to be one of the big innovations and advances there. And what we've done over the last, uh, you know, six months, we figured out how to make it orders of magnitude faster. So it's broken through the speed barrier, the cost barrier, and now also the quality barrier, you know, whereby you can create pretty much what you're thinking. It's still a bit random with the way that you've done it, but if you look at stable diffusion, you can do things like fix the seed. So that seed is the original noise that you come from so you can recreate the same image each time or slightly adjust it. People are doing things like in-painting on top of stable diffusion. So you'll be able to take the apple and other things and adjust it just like you do in value two. But then go way beyond that to massive collaboration around this or voice-driven inputs to adjust kind of these different parameters and masking levels. So I think that it's a big step forward. And again, it was that fast enough, good enough, cheap enough. That point is here now so it's going to go absolutely insane
2: yeah it's going to be it's going to be wild and it's been i was saying to you before the call started but yeah the the amount of stable diffusion on my feed uh particularly is is quite crazy and i can imagine <laughs> that will only intensify over the, the the course of the course of the week um so going back to to the uh uh this kind of force function um position you've positioned stability ai as a Kind of like a an advocacy organization, a, a, as well as a, a you are hinting at as kind of like a, a services based company. How do you feel like the Google's and the OpenAI, Microsoft are, are are feeling about this right now? Like, what's what's your what's your vibe of the general ecosystem? Because it it, it feels like it feels like you are approaching this from a radically different direction. And yeah, I am just I am just curious. I am just curious where you see where you see this this forcing larger players uh, to move to.
1: So I think it'll force them all open source, right? Because we'll release better models, which might not have a zillion parameters, but they'll be better and more useful. So then I think they'll become part of the ecosystem. But the way we set this up, like I said, it came out of the Luther AI and Lion and other communities, and we're very community driven. We all have a music communities, we have open bioML, doing protein folding, you know, education, all sorts of other things. And so we're trying to build for these communities, whereas. They're not. They're trying to build cool tech with an R&D focus, mostly, and they don't really want to productize. We don't want to productize in a classic sense either, extracting value from our users, but working with the users to add value. Because they're members of our community, which we're a part of as well. Other players like Meta, Meta just want to build for Horizons, right? And so they'll take that 47.5% cut of anything you create, and then they'll get rid of your genitals and legs. Because um, <laughs> apparently that's offensive, right? Um Google have taken kind of Imagen and they've used it for their internal Google Photo type stuff, and they're extending it out, but they'll never offer that to the world as well. So the question is, who is driving creative artificial intelligence from a community sense? I think that's just us, you know. And we don't like try to influence the communities too much. We want to be that infrastructure layer to coordinate everyone and push it forward, you know, because that's more than a big enough market because it will literally change the world. A the number of users of diffusion is going to go from five million if you include Wombo in Mid Journey to a billion. Yeah. Everyone's gonna use it. That's more than big enough for any market size. And it's not a threat to the classic business models of any of these other competitors, not even OpenAI. Because OpenAI will continue to serve, you know, corporations and other things with a Microsoft partnership. And again, Fantastic Engineers great products. But the way that I talk about it is I think it's the McDonald's of image generation. And I love McDonald's. You know, <laughs> and Spanish Stack. Um but it's useful for a certain thing, but you'll never have the creative freedom that you'll have with these open source building blocks. And that's okay, you know, because yep. that's not what it's meant to be for. It's such a new market and big market this space for everyone.
2: Do you believe there could be some unintended consequences from this? I'm just trying to like straw man a little bit. Do you see, so for example, a lot of what you've discussed so far has been the idea of open sourcing existing. So Diffusion, for example, was something that was incubated in OpenAI. Um, Do you see there being a scenario where a forcing function towards open source might cause for bigger players to be even more protective over what they're doing?
1: I think it's kind of difficult. These are generalized models that can do anything. They're specific models, right? So it's like almost infrastructure. So GPT-3 has been used a lot of times. but like I said, GPT-NEO and NEO-X, which are just 20 billion parameters versions on 70, have been downloaded 25 million times. Yep, yep. They're not as good. Yep. Because they're smaller. Mm-hmm. But they're good enough. Yep, yep. So good enough kind of comes through a lot of times. Like Diffusion wasn't incubated at OpenAI. It was kind of NVIDIA and Keras and kind of a bunch of others, plus etc. Yeah. And But what OpenAI did was they kicked off this whole thing with Clip, yep. which they did open source. Yep. Oh, by the way, we're going to be releasing a Clip-H in the next few weeks as well. Wow. So the largest Clip model is uh, which has the best accuracy. So, again, another step forward. Um, (laughs) It's, again, like having a player like us suddenly enter the market does mess things up a bit, but OpenAI's focus has always been on general intelligence to benefit humanity. They're trying to do business models and things like that, but they are a research lab that really just cares about that. And it's a good thing because, again, they kind of do it in an ethical, responsible way. Our take is more capabilities-focused, but it's about, like My view on the world and these unintended consequences, I don't think you'll get to generalize intelligence through lots of parameters and bigger and bigger models, yep. but instead by learning about the differences of humanity and having localized models for every country yep. and data sets for every country and giving this technology to every country. Yep. Otherwise, you're going to get this digital divide where it's like, this is dangerous and you can't have it because you're not Western, effectively. Yep. And so you'll never get it driven down. You'll never get it out there. I think everyone deserves this technology. But who knows what it can do it's a big change we've never i don't think we've ever seen a step function like this that will happen as big and as fast as this across every modality and even i don't realize that and i'm shocked every day when i think about holy shit what happens on my language if a billion people are using this all of a sudden in the year i don't know yeah no, but I... I do think it's better to create the consume i do think they'll be happier and i do think the world would be a bit weirder that's all i know you
2: yeah, know I, I i i couldn't agree more i mean i yeah every every time um yeah, every time I, I I allow myself to think about this, and and particularly the breakneck pace of, of all of it, I need to need to like sit down and have a have a lie down or something. It's <laughs> it's, it's uh, so I think one thing you've touched on a little bit earlier, uh, given the the broadness of the scope of what you're working on, um, you know, most people now are going to be familiar with image generation, and they will see you know, uh, step improvements in in image generation, but. Um, we haven't yet seen kind of big popular examples in the realm of let's say music or video. Um, you know, I've seen obviously the cog, there's some examples of cog video kind of doing the rounds at the moment yeah. in your position. Um, you know, where do you see the state of kind of multimedia in, um, expressions uh, 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 at the moment, the, just to, just to uh, uh, keep people keep people abreast?
1: So again, kind of the cross-modality of some of these things is super exciting. Like We took a text model, and we embedded a language model in it. So image model, and it created better images. How crazy is that, right? I think about of this is multimodal, but it depends on the quality of the data set. So GPT-3 was not an optimal size in the language model. DeepMind proved something from chinchilla, but the actual optimal size was probably 70 billion parameters, but trained a lot longer about 175 billion parameters, but when you dig into the weeds you actually find out it's about structured data set quality yeah and we've had lots of learnings from that that allow us to i think move towards real-time music generation within the next year or audio with full emotional range and other things like that using these types of models but with some really interesting twists a lot of that i said will be data and that's why as a company we know and as a community we are going out and talking to the largest archives, national broadcasters and others to build higher quality data sets that can then be used for these image, audio, and 3D models as well, so that you, know, you can make them generalised and available to everyone because public broadcasters should make their data available. And again, it transforms it from a static thing into something that's amazingly useful. So I'm completely convinced that you know, within five, four or five years, you'll be able to create full-length feature films dynamically and adjust them with your words. Yep. You know, you look at the work that Runway ML and others are doing, who kind of we work with in certain areas. It's amazing, but it's going to be even bigger. I think that on the audio side, the next year will be one of massive disruption, because unlike artists, every single musician is digitally intermediated, Yep. right? Yep. And most of them don't like their tools, and they wish they could be more, and they're all underappreciated, yep. with a couple of exceptions, right? That's a massive swell of massively passionate people that can really drive all this forward, right? And so, if we make a community out of that, the pace of innovation will be ridiculous. This is why, kind of, we set up plum and I yep. as an example. You know, so we're keeping it small because we know once it gets going, everyone will want to be a part, and that'll be amazing. Because who knows what the breakthroughs will be?
0: So, I'm pretty excited about the the music side of things. Um, I obviously love music. I uh, would love to make more music. I am too impatient and too untalented to create my own and so being able to synthesize a higher fidelity music with uh, one tenth of the talent uh, I think is (laughs) the future and I cannot wait to include some of that music in this very podcast next year.